Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carr, we're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer. Father Nagel is going to lead us. Father. Well, given the uh, the day, I probably a, a familiar scripture reading from Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of faith. Lord, on this day in which we remember all those who have gone before us, who see you face to face, reside in heaven and the kingdom, we ask your blessings upon us and their intercession for us as we continue that race that we, per- that we might persevere. And so bless us on this great holy day we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. So uh, today on Sun Insight, it is All Saints Day. And, um, and I refer to you fathers as I'm with two saints. Is, is, is that an appropriate thing to do here? Well, what am I doing when I, when I say that, you know, happy feast day, this is All Saints Day. Aren't you saints? Well, I think, uh, like Father Nagel said, that we're, we're, we're striving, we're, uh, we're a work in progress. Uh, St. Paul calls you know, the communities the saints, and I don't think he was actually calling them the holy ones in heaven, because he's writing to the Corinthians, I think, for you know, for crying out loud. But uh, what is our intent and our aim and end? It's uh, it is the striving for holiness and the end and aim, the perfection of that striving and on the kingdom of heaven. So, in so far as we're striving for holiness, and I, I like to think I am, um, I guess it's a uh, it's okay to call us saints. We uh, colloquially do that with uh, some known living saints. When Mother Teresa was with us, we called her living saint and so forth. So. Um, but I thank you for the compliment, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Father Father Nagel. Do you want to? Well, add to that I think all? yeah. I think we Catholics we have. It's a little tricky because we have these two different categories, right? The canonized uh, people um, who the Church recognizes and holds out um, as someone we we actually recognize in terms of being models and intercessors for us, and then again, saint just means holy people, right? Um, uh, the Sancti. And and so it's certainly true, as as Father Lewis mentioned, Paul talks about the Holy Ones, the saints. And I, and we can say, you know, oh, she's a real saint, uh, some parishioner of mine or something. And I, I, I don't think anything wrong. It depends on the context, I suppose. I can imagine perhaps when we sometimes think that, hey, I'm, I think I'm a saint already, you know, and if, if, if the idea is I've arrived and I don't have any more work to do, then I think that's problematic. Um, but you know, again, I think for, we, we can we can kind of hash it out somehow, and just it's not a huge deal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just going to just use the word equivocation. Let's kind of make it simple, right? There's a there's a fundamental difference in use of the same word, right? Uh, and but that's you you fathers did a good job with that, so thank you for that. Okay, so here I actually was thinking about this at mass this morning, and it was um, the reality of the saints in heaven as overcoming original sin. Now stay with me. Um, I have, I, I've kind of taken um, to my own, into my own spirituality, the idea of becoming a saint in relationship to overcoming the three principal sins of the fall, right? Now, now tradition says they're like seven, right? Like different spiritual writers have like identified seven different facets of what original sin is. But the three main ones are it's an act of pride, it's an act of distrust, and it's an act of disobedience. So I will not serve, I will not submit, and I do not trust. And so when I think about that, when I think about the demonic way that um, the diabolical realm attempts to dislodge us from the path of becoming saints, it's often around one of those three aspects of the fall. It's the refusal to humble oneself, to choose pride, the refusal to follow, so the refusal to be obedient or docile, and so I will not serve, and then the refusal to trust, I will not hand myself over, I will not give myself over and abandon myself into God's hands. I, uh, and I, I, don't, I just was thinking about that and just saying the way in which if I don't trust God, if I'm not, if I'm disobedient, I will not follow the Lord. And if I consider God the enemy to my independence, I will not humble myself. Then all of a sudden, heaven becomes hell. Mm-hmm. Heaven is hell 
for the demons because they will not serve, they will not submit, and they do not trust. And I'm just like, wow, the, the way in which our society today fosters this sense of be independent, be on top, like overcome your enemies, and be careful. You know, don't trust, but if you do trust, verify. I'm like, it is just, it's like the radical enemy of sanctity. Okay, so the, welcome to my mass, pre-mass reflection today. Uh, I don't know. So that, that was what, literally, I was, I was praying and thinking about that, and I was just thinking, I need to reflect more on eternity. I need to reflect more on heaven. And, and lo and behold, we're talking about All Saints and, and Saints Day. So, Father Lewis, you were nodding a lot when I was, you were, you were shaking your head thinking, my, my, I've got a real sinner here. And, but what do you think about what I just shared? One thing really stood out, like, you know, if, if a sinner is going to be so immersed in those three chief sins as you just uh, listed, listed them and discussed them, then, and you said then heaven truly would be hell for those folks. And I don't know if anyone's ever um, written on this or proposed this, and it's maybe even outright blasphemy, but I, I've thought about that too. Like, maybe if, if, if there's only like one place, you know, for sake of argument, after this life, then for those who are who love God, it, that would be heaven. For those who have chosen to hate God, it is hell. And and I, I, maybe I got was thinking about that idea from this famous image of in heaven. You know, we have these long spoons we can't feed ourselves. So for those who are saints, they're helping to feed each other. And for the people who are selfish, uh, they're trying to use these long spoons or something to to feed themselves, and they can't, and they they don't have the charity to help someone else. So it's you know, it's the same. Um, it's the same schema, but uh, for those who have chosen, you know, evil and and um, and sin and pride and all that, it's it's they just uh, they've they've uh, so hardened that they have no 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 capacity for charity at that point, I suppose. And and um, and then heaven would be hell. Now Jesus spoke very clearly, of course, that hell is hell, and um, so I don't want to edge too much into blasphemy or anything like that. But um, that's what stuck out to me is you know. Even if they were to recognize that hell is hell, and then they could take a second glance at heaven if they were given that chance, would they still choose hell? And sadly, I suspect they would because they've so hardened their hearts. You know, I it's interesting. Uh, I think first off, I, th- I think it's really interesting points you make, Tom. I I actually happen to be providentially reading uh, Paradise Lost, um, and you know, there you have uh, Satan say, you know, better to to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And it's, it's about this, all about this. Um, I think that what really struck me, I, first off, I, I think that's, that's a great meditation, actually. To what, how am I distrusting God? How am I disobedient to God? And how am I refusing to serve him? Uh, I think that what I really liked was the way in which our society is all about those three things. That obedience is something, that very word is a swear word. Uh, to obey is, is, you know, that's something that gets our hackles up right away. Or the idea that I'm going to serve, I'm not going to be in charge, I'm going to be at the service of others. Again, it's always, you know, be your own person and do what you want to do. That's the only way that you can really be yourself is if you get to decide your will, you know, your will gets to rule. But I think the, the one that maybe has less uh, thought given to it is just the, the idea of um, distrust. The, the, we're all about cynicism and irony um, in our society. It's, it's, it's really hard to um, ha- have that, that kind of the idea of trusting others. And we're not about that at all. Uh, there are things that can't be said, not because they're swearing or that they're obscene, but the, the fact that we can't say them without sounding ironic. And I just, I think that there's, it does, it, I think it does point to the fact that our society is pretty mixed up. Well, and, and it's funny because I, I was, one of the things, one of the lanes I was going down in my, like, my meditation this morning was, um, like, the difference between disobedience and pride. And I was like, in disobedience, God is my master. In pride, God is my enemy. That, that, that was kind of how I, I sorted it out for myself. Like, I'm in competition against God, wrestling for the top spot mm-hmm. when, when, I'm, when I'm fighting pride versus humility. In disobedience, it's, he's my master, and I, I don't want to obey him. I don't want to listen and have to follow what he is saying. 
And I never really thought about it like that, like putting myself in competition with God. He is the, not just the competitor, he's the enemy. And it's like, wow. Uh, uh, but anyways, that was the, that was the first thought. I, I never thought about that. In pride, God is my enemy. Um, the second was um, this idea of distrust. That for me, that came from John Paul II. Because he was the one who like, was the one I, I gained this insight from about the, like, the three forms of original sin and, and distrust. Because he called this the age of distrust. Mm-hmm. That um, of those three sins, it was, and I think we've talked about this before in Sun Insight, but uh, I, it's worth repeating that, um, uh, that we live in a time of distrust. In, in, in a certain sense, the message of divine mercy was meant to um, overcome that. Mm. Uh, because when I know I've failed, I want to hide. And so what will bring me out into the open is the idea that I'll be shown favor when I deserve the opposite. And so I can trust a God who sees through to my core, recognizes that I'm a fraud, I'm not living in accord with my own ideals or what is being asked of me, and yet I still am shown favor and I'm still beloved. And so that fundamental, like at the core dynamic today is like the most needed. And to build off of that point, Father Nagel, that you just shared, like you talked about this age of sort of irony and cynicism, it's, I want to call it the age of everyone's a fraud. You just don't realize right. it, right? right. It's, it's that age where like, look, you go deep enough, everyone's going to come up against this discrepancy between who they say they are and how they're actually living. And so when you talk about big brother privacy versus exposure, like anyone and everyone can be exposed at some level because we are all frauds at some place in our lives. We are not living out our own ideals but that is used against faith. It is used against the church. It is used against an individual's own testimony. And I think that's really, really sad. It's tragic because it, it's, it's not something that we can ever overcome because everybody has that discrepancy. What do you think about that, Father Nagel? Well, I, I think you're right. I think that that's, that's true. It's like, um, don't be a sucker. Don't trust this person because they're going to, you know, it, they're not... They're not being real, you know. Deep down, they're going. They're, they're after it for themselves. They're going to turn on you. It's, they're not going to be trustworthy. Um, look out for number one. I, I think that that is an attitude there. That I think it plays into uh, just the whole distrust of authority. We have a crisis of authority in our whole world, really, church, country, world, um, and it, it's it's wrapped up in that. I think in some ways. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. I was just thinking, like you know, the, the the world as as we have made it, this distrusting culture, looks at me and and would you know, or look at any of us and and say you are a fraud. But through a Christian lens, we would look at each other and we would just recognize humbly that you are flawed. You know, because it is true that de- if you de, I think it's oh, true. Oh, I like that. That was good. Yes, yeah, like so I had to write that down before. That was, <laughs> that, that's going to appear in a homily somewhere. Oh, I think I'll yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, That's but uh, you know, it's it's true. If you dig down deep enough into each of us, you know, even after the canonization of, like, for example, Pope John Paul II, in the light of the sex abuse crisis, they're looking at him and say, "Well, what did he know about McCarrick, for example? He's flawed." You know, and but they'll say, "See, he's not really a saint. The church has just lost all credibility." And and um, you know, that's just as for an example, but. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's true. Each of us, you dig deep enough, and, and we're deeply flawed. But, um, but uh, you know, we would recognize in our humility that that is so. And hence, at the very beginning, Father Nagel said, we are a work in progress. We're on our journey. Whereas the world would say, see, just one f- tiny flaw, and we've we got to write you off. And um, I think that's absurd. You know, it's like, you know, Tom, you're a huge fan of the Boston Red Sox. So you said, Boston Red Sox is the best team this year. And then I would tune into one game and say, well, they lost a game, so clearly they're not the best team that year. What a ridiculous thing to say, you know. And, and, um, and you know, because we recognize that, you know, there's a flawed uh, characteristic in each of us, uh, you know, to, to write off the whole person for that is absurd, I think. So you got me thinking, uh, and John Paul II, right, is this uh, – sometimes I have um, – arguments with um, very conservative Catholics about John Paul II, where they're not fans. And they say that he shepherded the church. 
oh yeah, he did some good things, but he was flawed. But they actually go more towards he was a fraud. And they write off the entire like corpus of his life and his work because, for instance, there's a picture of him kissing the Quran. And they'll like, explain that. And then they draw out all these entailments from this picture without maybe even understanding the context. Um, or even this idea that, you know what, maybe he just was off his game that day and in a, in a moment made a bad decision. And you're going to write off all of his teachings, all of his pastoral activity, all of his insights about the present moment and where he was shepherding the church. Really? Is that what you're going to do? And it's amazing how stubborn people are and they don't realize that I'm right. So, <laughs> Sorry, that was quick. See, I, see, I just fell right back into pride again. <laughs> I, I, I was I was on course. I was sitting on a holy path, but I just couldn't help myself. I had to win. He's a fraud. To... And now I can write off everything you just said, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> See, there it is. There's the world in which we're doing. But, I mean, have you bumped into that kind of thing, Father Nagel? Oh, yes. Um, and sometimes I, I say it to myself, you know, I, I think that pastors can experience that from parishioners and probably vice versa. I think the dynamic you just mentioned is, I think that's out there. And I think it, it's part of the, I mean, there's so much distrust today in, in every, every, you know, the, the theme of this, this society today is division. And I think that um, we, we almost take pleasure in uh, finding the flaw and um, magnifying it and centering it. And so the other side or whatever, however we want to decide, however we want to determine that or define it. So I do think that that's a dynamic that I, I, I think it's out there and it is sad. It's really hard to love one another when all we see is, you know, we, we can't recognize that, hey, this is a person who's a, a child of God, is, you know, also, you know, flawed by original sin, but a child of God. And so let me look for the beauty in them. Yeah. You know, something that you said made me think that, you know, some, you know people take this really strange, sick joy in, in discovering the, the flaw in someone and bringing them down. And it, that seems like the very, the very essence of envy. And um, I wonder if, Tom, for your reflections, if, if one of those chief sins is some element of envy, uh, the, by the envy of the devil, the sin entered the world. And if I can't have the good thing that you have, I'm going to tear you down so that you can't have it either. Boy, you know, just, yeah, you talk about pushing a button of mine. Um, so because of my, like, public role in, in, in the church, I have people contact me regularly with, they want to share out of their concern prayerfully the dirt that they're hearing. And I shut that down so fast. I, I just have become a master at just saying, not interested in hearing that. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you have a concern and it's authentic and it's legitimate, then you bring it to the chancery. You bring it to the diocese. But I am not interested in gossip, rumors, or even detraction. Detraction is when there's actually correct information. There's actual factual information about another person that, you know what, I don't have a need to know and I don't have a right to know. And so it is, that bothers me. I just, I, I, I'm going to say that out loud. That really bothers me. Now, look what you've done, Father. Sorry. Thank, thank you, Father Lewis, for just kind of <laughs> pushing a button of mine. But that in the name, in the name of good intentions and I'm concerned and what do we do about it, it's, um, it, it, we can so quickly detract against someone's good name uh, and they have a right to a, rep a good reputation, and you have no right to disparage or detract against their good name um, in, in, out of some kind of concern that um, even if, it, if it's a legitimate concern, you have to go to the right person. You have to go to the right um, uh, source of disclosure, not just to, to some random person. So, You know, I, I just want to jump on that just before we go. Um, I do think, you know, you hear about the cancel culture, quote unquote. I think that's a, I think that's playing here too, in the sense of here's one thing that you said or one thing you text, you know, maybe years ago or whatever. And there's a pleasure, it seems to be out there to take you down, to cancel you to, And it, I, I don't think it's just from one perspective. I think it's a dynamic of our culture that, and I think the internet plays into it, that, that it's, it never disappears, and I can find one thing, and I can destroy you with one thing. So anyway, I, I do think it's a, a just a, a really toxic part of who we are right now. Yeah. 
Well, this is a fascinating conversation. We are up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to bring up one other element. It's something we've talked about before, but I think it's relevant to this idea of perfection when you live on the way. It's, again, Aquinas concept. But you'll get to that in just a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking on this All Saints Day about, well, becoming a saint. And, and what does that mean today when we're on the way? That's St. Thomas Aquinas. We haven't yet arrived. We're not comprehensors. We, we don't comprehend. No, we are people who live on the way. And when he talks about the goal of the life of faith, the goal of the, the, um, of the Christian life is this universal call to holiness, which means achieving the perfection of charity. And if you remember, uh, the perfection of charity, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is not something that we do perfectly. So it's so funny that Aquinas will say, on the way, while you're living in time on earth, you will only have an imperfect experience of the perfection of charity. So being perfect on the way is actually marked by imperfection. Hmm. So there's an imperfect realization of the perfection of charity because the perfect fulfillment of the call to the perfection of charity is only achievable in heaven. So that means that this idea of being flawed is characteristic. It, it, it's never going to go away. There will always be the gap that exists between how holy we are and the holiness we're called to by the Lord our God who is holy. And that gap can be experienced more intensively, but it will always be there. And so in the cancel culture, in the culture of gotcha, in the, cul- in the culture of everyone's a fraud, it's, it's really taking dark advantage of the human condition, even the human condition redeemed by Christ. So uh, there's, a, there's, there's my launch back in. Just talk <laughs> about getting on a platform, Father Lewis, huh? Uh, well, you're laughing at me, so what are you thinking? I was thinking, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, back and forth, you know, that you said there, quoting Aquinas, you know, the that the fact that we're imperfect now, but we're pursuing the perfect is itself perfect. And, you know, maybe it helps to, listeners maybe to think not not perfect as in perfection as we think, like, like no flaws, but perfect as in completion. Insofar as we have a capacity limited in fracture right now because of original sin and mortal condition, but we're pursuing, we're doing what we can with what we have in the context in which we live now, in the pursuit of that higher thing, and we're, it's like we're doing the best we can, kind of a thing. And uh, maybe an example, like when I was like five years old, you know, I want to show my, my mom that I love her, I want to give her a gift, and I know that she grows flowers, so what am I going to do in my capacity as a five-year-old boy? I'm going to go out into the fields and pick wild flowers, probably filled with bugs and already half dead, and I'm going to give that to her. And she's going to be like, thanks, good, I'll put this over here now. No, she receives them as the gesture that they are. Now, it's a tremendously imperfect gift, of course, but in that capacity of me as a five-year-old not knowing any better or what to do better, this is the best I I can with who I am, with the context in which I live, and and maybe that's an analogy that kind of helped that strangeness of perfect imperfection. I think in terms of that, what struck me, Tom, was I think there's a utopianism out there that doesn't, we get into trouble when we don't recognize we'll never be perfect in this world. Um, And it's not just for the individual, but it's for for all of us, uh, humanity itself. And so I think we really struggle with the idea that um, we're not going to have the perfect society. It's, it's, there's not going to be equ- equality in terms of wealth and intelligence. And th- there's always going to be, um, again, flaws in our society. We're never going to get it right. Um, there's always going to be injustice. Um, and that's hard for some people to accept if you don't have that Christian anthropology of, of, the, of the failure and fall, flaw of original sin. So I do think that that... I think the, the damaging ideologies of this century and last are all based on that, the idea that um, somehow we can, we can perfect ourselves here on the way, not just on the way, but we can, we can, we can do it here. Well, and you know, this, this actually gets back to the human condition, right? As human beings, we have a capacity that God gave us to uh, imagine the ideal. So because we can imagine the ideal, we can conceive of an ideal state of things that is naturally going to have as a counterpart the real state of things. And so it's built into us to operate in that realm. And um, 
uh, it's interesting to me on All Saints Day to be able to take that into account um, by distinguishing the perfect state from the final state. So the final state is where we're headed. We're headed to a final condition. Oh yeah, guess what? That happens to be perfect. Versus calling it the perfect state right now. Because if we change the two, and, and this is again, this is the last thing I'll mention about my prayer time this morning, um, was that I was reflecting on the reality that at Mass I touch eternity. I touch the reality of the final state. And the final state breaks into the state of being on the way. And I was just thinking, like, anybody who thinks about God and eternity and heaven, like, how do you take yourself too seriously while you're here on earth? Like, like hilarity ought to be the fundamental mark of the creature. Like, how can you take yourself seriously, O oh creature, when you're living on this earth and you're headed towards eternity? Why don't you take seriously the final state? Like, what's really at stake today is your forever. And so my prayer, after all these things that I was reflecting on before Mass, was, Lord, please give me the grace just today to make decisions that will impact my final state. Because it's like, if I was willing to do that, if I was willing to say, you can actually live today in a way that's going to impact how you live eternity? Like, okay, say it out loud, forever. Your forever is going to be impacted if you choose to fast, deny yourself, embrace your cross, versus choosing to do what is easy, comfortable, soft, and pleasant, not generous and uh, an extending of myself. And that can actually impact my forever. Like, forever. Hmm. And I'm like, why are we so like like slugs? Like why are we so apathetic and lethargic when it comes to the the fact that how you live right now, right now is going to impact how you live forever. Like wake up and choose to live well now because of forever. I think that's like that's a saint thing. Like that's a saint thing. The saints got that and they were like determined to live that. Uh, is that too strong, Father Lewis? Well, I think um I was thinking that that could be summarized in two words, momentum mori. If we would remember death, and uh, the saints certainly did, then I think that's, that packs into it everything I just said. If I remember that I'm mortal, that I'm going to die, and that that's the end, and what I'm doing now prepares me for a good and holy death, and that there's something that follows death, that hopefully would color and shape and change everything that I would do in this life. I. <laughs> You know, just what's springing into my mind, Tom, as you were saying that, which I think, you know, the logic's impeccable, um, is how much time people, us, we, we spend on worrying about our retirement. We save for it. We sacrifice for it because we, we want to, we imagine this retirement age where we want to be able to do what we want to do and be who we want to be and that sort of thing. Whereas, as opposed to the real eternity, the eternal, you know, retirement, so to speak, or you know what I mean. And, and how little time we, we spend saving up for that or changing ourselves for that and preparing for, for that. There's a, there's a saying by John of the Cross, and I'm, I'm, I'm slightly paraphrasing the first part of it because I forget the exact words, but, but he does, after, after kind of going where you just went, he says, O soul, call to such wonders uh, and, and offer them. What are you doing? How are you spending your time? Um, so it, it's just that idea of look around and say, what are you doing? Um, how are you spending this life? Is is you know, again that call to that perfection of heaven, eternity? You know, the book that helped me the most with this is uh, it's a book that um, the publisher should have recommended a better title. Like this saint, he's really good, but man, he didn't have a good publisher. Uh, the book is called Preparation for Death. It's Saint Alphonsus de Liguori, and um, the book will shake you. It will shake you, and it brings up that very theme in a hundred ways, Father Nagel and, and Father Lewis, about remembrance of death and how are you spending your time now because you don't know when death is going to come, and once it comes, it is, you're done. <laughs> There's no more chance to like reform or to adjust or whatever, and it leads you into a final state. So I can remember when I first read that book 35 years ago, like I had a hard time sleeping at night. 
It was like you read that book during the day, during a bright, sunny day. That's when you read that book. You don't read it at night when it's dark, okay? <laughs> you'll, you'll be shaken. But it is really life-giving, life-giving. Okay, now here's something that I struggle with. And fathers, I need some pastoral guidance from you because I'm guessing some mothers do as well. So last night, true story, last night, um, so I um, uh, walked and I bumped into Carrie, and Carrie was watching a Hallmark movie, drinking a glass of wine. And it was in the evening, and I had just like helped the kids with homework and whatever, whatever. And I said to Carrie, welcome to our marriage here, guys. I said to her, I said, now, honey, now it's not bad for you to relax at the end of a long day, having a glass of wine and watching a Hallmark movie, which, first of all, I don't know why you'd want to watch because there's only one of them, but she could find a, a, a dozen of them, two dozen of them. But I said, you know, you could have been like contemplating the Lord in prayer, examining your conscience and like reading the scriptures. Like, do you realize like what you're doing by taking that time to just relax like that? So let me just say that that didn't win a lot of favor with Carrie, <laughs> but it's something that I struggle with i struggle with like do i give myself permission to like turn down the dial and relax and i can have a bowl of popcorn and watch a movie at night versus no there are people on the precipice of hell and if i just take more time to pray right now or is that just not am i taking myself too seriously so okay i need some guidance here fathers well, maybe in the larger context, I mean, I'd have to know because, um, you know, I might counsel, like, for all you know, that's a lot of what she had been doing all day. But there's something to be said for for leisure to, t- to take the work that we've been doing and let it rest. If you fuss over the steak and don't just let it grill and then take it off the grill to let it rest, then it's not a very good steak, you know. So, you know, maybe you went you were, there, didn't you? you I went did. To, you went to steak. I was going to figure steaks and movies were going to what you went to, but continue, I'm, please. I'm hungry today, so steaks it is. <laughs> I was also going to say that I guess that explains why I saw the um, the sleep bag on the couch this, uh, when I arrived, right? <laughs> we know how that ended. That's so funny. But um, I mean, <clears throat> it would be interesting to know how that conversation played out because maybe she was uh, not engaged in prayer all day. Um, on the other hand, maybe she had been. It's a, it's a wise rule that uh, you know St. Ben did, where we have a rotation of prayer and work and leisure. And leisure is how we can like, okay, so I, I've prayed, so maybe I can engage in the world or view the world in a, in a new way. And it's kind of like, I just had the lecture, now it's time for the lab. Because uh, I'll do that too, but I'll, I'll watch movies and such. But I'm like, now I'm watching with like a, a Christian mindset. More and more I'm watching with a Christian mindset. Like Bishop Barron, you know, we'll look uh, for the Christological imagery and Avengers movies were crying out loud, but if he weren't a praying man, he wouldn't uh, necessarily view those movies in that same way. So, uh, you know. <laughs> are you stunned into silence after that? I, I, I think, I think it's a good question because it deals with not simply wanting to be a quote unquote good Catholic, but wanting to be a saint, um, and also calling your spouse to the same thing. I, and I'm assuming, I think correctly, that the two of you do have that as a goal. And, and so in that sense, uh, it's not something I, you know, this is a question that's applying to your marriage, which honestly it probably wouldn't apply to some others because it's not even in the, the discussion realm, right? Um, but I do think, I think there's a call to radical uh, change and conversion. I don't know if it's always good to, in the moment, say this particular situation, you should be praying rather than doing X, Y, or Z. Um, but I do think that the, to call each other to a very serious prayer life and to recognize God is number one and the will of God is what we're seeking because I think Father Lewis is right. Sometimes, sometimes relaxation, you know, in the Carthusians, there's relaxation, there's, there's, there's rec time. I mean, some, some of that has to happen. And so again, for a particular moment, I, I don't think I'd go there, but I do think that in, in regular ways, you, you do remind each other of um, your call to holiness and you help each other and in those kind of discussions, say, hey, you know, it seems like, you know, I've seen in the last month or so, it seems like they're slacking off here in some ways, uh, however you want to approach it. So I think it's a... Yeah, it's married a, couples, don't say that. Don't say you're slacking off to your spouse. Okay, right? that's <laughs> not what I would say. But, but, you know, it seems like that we're getting, you know, again, that uh, the prayer slipping a little bit, or are we, are we really right. there? So I, I don't, I think the topic's good. I, you know, the execution may need some work. 
Yeah, that's great. I like that. That's good. Uh, yeah, prudence is what? Knowing the good that's at stake and the right way of realizing it, right? So, um, and, and in fact, this is uh, actually, I want to bring up two movies because uh, Carrie and I talked about it um, on Friday on Sound Insight how the heroic, the magnanimous, can actually be stirred by doing something like relaxing and watching a movie that can actually shake you again. That idea of like preparation for death can shake you. Carrie saw a movie and I saw a movie, different ones, that were like really shook us and, and were, was used as a spur to grow in holiness. What are those movies? I'll tell you in a minute. Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kernan with Father Jeff Lewis, Father Kurt Nagel, and on this All Saints Day. And uh, fathers, you do realize that we're still in the introduction to the nice. outline. Yes. We're a record. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't gotten even to the first question or quote. But um, uh, this idea of like, what is it that can help stir someone to more radical living, more generous living, more magnanimous living? Carrie saw a movie that our daughter Mary Grace said, you've got to watch this movie. It's called um, Burma, uh, Free Burma Rangers. And uh, it is about a family that is on mission uh, to uh, rescue and help and support, educate, train, and evangelize these uh, refugees from Burma that have been driven out. And there's like a million of them All that right. are just in these horrific conditions. And they're being hunted down by the, the regime in power there. Uh, and these, these people are like, this is like the real deal. Like they go and they're being shot at. Like in this movie, like this documentary, you see them like going into situations where bullets are flying. And they are heading into the bullets. They're not running away from them. And Carrie was like, you have to watch this movie. And, and she said, watching this movie made me feel so pitiable. So, like, like little compared to the bigness of how these people... And it's a, it's a husband and a wife, and there are three kids. Like, these are kids, and, and they are right out, literally on the front line of the front line. I mean, they are right there. And so she's like, you've got to watch this movie. And then her, what was her conclusion? I've got to change my life. I, I, I want to live more radically. We've got to go more all in than, just, than, than we're doing right now. And I was just like, wow, that's powerful. And so um, for me, the one was called Mully the Movie. And it's about this guy, I think it's in Kenya, um, this guy who was an orphan who was on the streets for years, and he, he very entrepreneurial, um, was able to actually make some money, and then he started rescuing kids from the streets. And without giving away the whole movie, by the end of the movie, he has like several hundred kids that he's he's taken in. And you weep over the radical way that he and his biological family opened their lives and went all in to rescue all of these orphans on the streets. And it's just like, again, I just shook my head like I'm doing nothing, just nothing compared to these people's actual lived lives. And it's like, I think we need that. Like we need the example of people living saintly lives, magnanimous lives to shake us out of what we could probably think comparatively, we're doing really well. And, and all of a sudden these people realize, no, you're exposed. You're barely doing anything at all. So... Father Lewis, is there a, a movie or, or a documentary that you can think of that you're, you're like, you know, when I watch that, this is the one that has that kind of impact on me? I'd seen the movie twice. It's a French movie, and I think it's called Of Gods and Men. And um, it was about, um, it's a, not a documentary, but it's based on a real life story of, um, of a French Catholic. Um, I think they're, um, maybe they're Cartusians, or maybe they're. Trappist, I think. Oh, Trappist, yeah. And there's seven or eight of them living in this monastery, but in um, Muslim-controlled, um, like, Algeria, I think, mm-hmm. northern coast, and what had been uh, French Africa. And um, anyway, they're living in their community, and they're, uh, they, they provide um, medical services and, and so on for the Muslim town in which they live. And these radical um, Islamic kind of uh, warriors or terrorists or something, they kind of come in and lay havoc and... And the movie ends with um, six or seven of the of these guys. One survived because uh, he was elsewhere or something. But they're marched into the snowy mountains in the middle of winter, and uh, and we don't know what happened to them. It's it, it's 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 uh, shown that they were martyred by these gunmen. But but the whole movie is like, do we stay? Do we leave? And you know, we should stay. We got to serve our people. We got to be faithful. And and well, we should leave. And 
um, and as a community, they they decide to stay. And and uh, and it's a quiet heroism. I see. You know, they're not giving great speeches. They're not leading some kind of like uh, rebellion or or defense against this injustice or whatever. They're just quietly being heroic and quietly being faithful. And um, and that inspired me both times I watched it. Is it based on a true story? Yeah, I think these guys were right. there in uh, mid or early, earlier to mid uh, 20th century. I think. Oh, wow. No, it was later than that. Um, this happened, I think, in the 90s. Um, oh, you're right. And the movie was made like in 2005 or something. Yeah, that's right. I think they've been beatified. Um, I, I, I've heard, I have not seen that movie, but I've heard a lot about it. And I remember the actual um, historical incident when it happened, too. I think for me, I, I haven't seen, um, I can't think of a movie right off the top of my head, but a book that I just read was called Beggar, Priest and Beggar. Uh, the book is by Kevin Wells, and it's about a priest who's now declared venerable. He hasn't been beatified yet, but um, it's an American priest, um, Al, Aloysius Schwartz, Al Schwartz, who was just, he did this ministry. He, he was like a Mother Teresa, but in Korea and the Philippines. And it's an amazing story. He just died, I think, I think he died in 92 or 90, yeah, I think 1992. So he's, it's, it's recent. Um, but again, he, he founded these uh, basically orphanages for street, street kids. And um, now his order has like 20,000 kids under its roofs um, in Mexico and on Philippines. Anyway, all over the place. And, and again, it's, it's a great story in terms of um, just one guy who said, you know, I'm, I'm just going to go out and do this. I never heard of him before. That's so interesting. It's, um, you know, when you, like, I think about these kind of movies, and, and they're super powerful. There's, <clears> there's one that came out um, in 2019 called A, Hit, a Hidden Life, um, and it's about a um, conscience subjector right. in the Second World War um, to uh, the Nazi regime. And um, it's just, it's so striking, because it's like, you know, will you just sort of like, you know, what, what put a pinch of incense, right, to, right. to Moloch or whatever, to, to Caesar, rather than being true and facing persecution. Like, it's like in the Office of Readings, like we're going through Maccabees, and it talked about uh, the, um, the, uh, the people of God, the, the Israelite leaders facing, like, will you give in to the practices or will you stay true and face persecution and martyrdom? Um, and so this is, like, a hidden life was was the story of the, you know the in a certain sense the martyrdom of this man who was unwilling to bow to Caesar or to bow to the Nazi regime. Yeah, I'd heard of this movie. I think it's about a guy. He is. Uh, I think um, he's Catholic, isn't he? Oh yeah. Well, he's he's uh, beatified. I yeah. Think. Oh, was he, he really? recently yeah. beatified? Yeah. Yeah, recently beatified. Oh wow. He wouldn't take the oath of allegiance to Caesar. That, I'm not saying to, to Hitler that required to. He he actually was willing to fight. But he wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna take an oath of uh, allegiance to Hitler. Um, I, I think I got that detail right. He he wasn't. He didn't want to fight the war really. But I think the, what it came down to was that he would not take the oath. Well, so striking. So it, it's amazing how you know. Here's this guy. Who would have thought that his life is literally hidden? Like who would have known it? Um, could actually be an inspiration mm-hmm. for for folks today um, in terms of how we live our lives. So. Um, it is very powerful when you have these small s saints willing to put it all on the line, and who knows the kind of difference that their witness or their testimony will make going forward. Right. All right, we're up against a break. Back in a minute with more Sun Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel, Father Jeff Lewis on this All Saints Day, and we're talking about uh, small s saints, you know, that... Uh, that are get, get portrayed in movies, uh, like some movies of gods and men. I haven't seen it. I want, I'll see that movie. A Hidden Life, I haven't seen it. It's another one to see. If you haven't seen Mully the movie, I recommend it. If you haven't seen Free Burma Ranger, I recommend that you see that one as well. I'm going to see it. So Kerry and I, we've made an agreement. We're going to each watch each other's movie and then come back um, to, to see how that can, uh, you know, what, what kind of impact it can have on us and on our kids. Um, like I said, it, it's been a great inspiration for my daughter, Mary Grace. She was in Myanmar. It used to be Burma. She was in Myanmar, so it was very meaningful to her to experience some of the anti-Christian sentiment where she was doing missionary work. And so very meaningful and powerful for her uh, what this movie, what this meant. She just said, you have to see it. You have to see it. So um, a, powerful, a powerful way to, to do that. 
I, I want to go to one other one. This is, again, it's a book. Um, it's, uh, it's a book about a Polish priest who ended up going into Germany, into Russia, Instead of fleeing, along with many of the other priests, he, he prepared himself by studying Russian at the Gregorian University. That's right. Uh, a Jesuit. Walter Chizik is his name. And he, um, he ended up going into uh, Russia rather than fleeing from it and ended up being caught and was in concentration camps for something like 20 years. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of books. One was about his life, and the other one was sort of his spirituality that he lived while he was in these concentration camps and what he went through and how he was able to be a priest, minister, uh, ministering as a priest uh, in, those, uh, in those settings. Uh, have, have you guys read those books? I've heard of him. I've not, I've not uh, read those books. Uh, yeah, it's I, an it's, incredible story. It is. It's, I've read them several times, actually. Um, With God in Russia is the, is the, yep. the autobiography. And um, I forget the title of the. I think it's He Leadeth Me. Yeah, He Leadeth Me. Leadeth. That's right. That's it. They're very, it's very powerful. Yeah. So just how those stories of, of, that are closer in time to us. Right. Um, I, I don't know if it's partly the, like, it, it's less hagi- hagiographical that some, um, some of the, the, the writing of the lives of saints can be a bit more devotional and um, it can maybe kind of make it, it so, at least for me, it was sometimes harder to just take it like straight on. And, and wonder, like, did that really happen? Like, right. when Vincent Ferrer, like, you know, was... <laughs> there's a story about St. Vincent Ferrer going down the street in this town, and this worker starts to fall from the roof, and he prays, and the guy gets held in midair. And he has to go get permission from his uh, superior to be able to, like, rescue this guy from falling before he finished the performance of the miracle. Now, that just strikes me as kind of hard to believe, okay? <laughs> I, you know, I mean, maybe it happened, like God can do anything, but that struck me as kind of a really weird miracle, <laughs> as a for instance. Yeah. So, and I love St. Vincent Ferrer. I ask for his intercession all the time. So, well, I, I think a- the modern saints, it just seems like, I, I think that if you, you're reading about medieval saints or the ancient saints, the world, it's the, the world they were in, lends itself to being other. Whereas if you're dealing with somebody who died when I entered the seminary and is an American, grew up in Baltimore, like, you know, Al Schwartz, suddenly say, he's more like me. I can, I can you know, I, I understand where he's from and I've been there. And so, again, the possibility of me doing what he did seems to be, uh, again, it may not be logical, but it seems like it's more possible. Well, there's that Mexican Catholic teenager who had that great love for the Eucharist and like what did some like devotional. Is it Acutis or something? Oh, that's, like that? He's Italian. Italian. Uh, it's Italian. Car- Carlo Acutis. Carlo Acutis. Yeah, just beatified last year, I think. And didn't they? I heard that they um, exhumed his body and he was incorrupt. Yeah. Is that true? I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. That's really. I, I I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I yeah. love that because it just is such a testimony to to my my kids mm-hmm. about even teens can can achieve like. Holiness like that, and um, and God can honor it. God can so beautifully honor it. Yeah. I had one well, of my. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I had one of my teens in the, my confirmation class this week. Um, he taking him for his his uh, saint, you know, because again he could relate to him. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, even amongst the the, the living still, you know, someone who is inspiring to me that. I don't, at the risk of canonizing a still living person, but um, Cardinal George Pell, uh, what he went through and the false accusations that finally were proven false, 400 over 400 days of isolated um, uh, incarceration, uh, solitary incarceration, and then finally vindicated and and his attitude the whole time, uh, one of joy and prayer and trust, the three opposites of the three sins you began with, Tom. And and um, I'm, I've got it on my wish list. His uh, his prison journal, which has been published, just his spiritual, really? ref- yeah, his spiritual reflections. He's been interviewed a couple of times. I I heard an interview with him um, on the uh, uh, Al Cresta show, and uh, just a just a remarkable man. I'd love to meet him in person if I get a chance one day. But uh, yeah, I think that's been a quiet. And again, the quiet heroism. He didn't. He doesn't come out guns blazing and screaming the injustices done against him. But but um, just a. Uh, I trusted in the Lord. I had great peace, and I uh, made friends with other prisoners and the guards, and and now he's released. And what's he doing? He's not. He's just living a quiet retirement in a, 
I, I imagine a life of prayer and, and, and maybe penance, but um, I find him very heroic. Well, you think about, like, I see, I saw just a number of, like, those little video clips where he's, like, being led from one place to another, and he's out in the public setting, and people are just screaming at him and yelling at him, and he's just quietly, patiently, peacefully walking from place to place, and just undergoing that, and it's just like the Beatitudes, right? Blessed yeah. are you when they persecute you and uh, accuse you falsely for my name. You know, blessed are you. Your reward will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And there it is. Right? Mm-hmm. If, if you don't have that vision of the kingdom of heaven, how are you going to at all consider blessed this kind of association with Jesus Christ? You don't think of that, oh, that's what prosperity in Christ looks like, is being drawn into nearness to his passion, to his vilification, to his being spit at, his being mocked, to his being falsely accused. Like, that's not the nearness that I want to sign up for. And yet... <laughs> You know, when he was drawn into that, to him to undergo it and to go through it, and to be able to glimpse a little bit of the other side—what a gift! Yeah. So we we just have a, um, a couple of minutes left today in the program, believe it or not, and so we have time for, well, not even one quote. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually want to—I'll um, I, I, just give you a chance to. Um, I, I love this Leon, uh, Leon Blois quote: "The the only real sadness." The only real failure, the only great tragedy in life, is not to become a saint. I'll read that one more time, and fathers, you each get uh, 30 whole seconds to reflect on it. The only real sadness, the only real failure, the only great tragedy in life is not to become a saint. Father Lewis. I've worked this more and more into homilies even that... uh, Beyond the veil of this life, what is our true aim and end? It is nothing less than sainthood itself. That's become like a, an oft-quoted phrase, you know, nothing less than sainthood itself is what, is what God wants for us, that to which God calls us, and what ought to be our highest aim and end, and, and what it takes to get there if we got to sacrifice things, self, you know, deny self to certain things, whatever it is, but we got to have that as our final aim and vision because of all that that entails, that we're in is spending eternity uh, in heaven with God and all the angels and saints. That is sainthood, and that's, that's, that's the glory to which we're called. I think in terms of this quote that I've, I've, I've used, it's, it's a beautiful quote. It, we've already touched upon it in some ways in this, in this conversation this hour. The idea of what is happiness is to be who God wants you to be, and what is that to be a saint? And so, you know, again, we, we worry about all sorts of worldly failures, but this is what life is all about. And so get up each day living what life's about. Um, you, don't want to, you don't want to come up to the end of your life and thinking, you know, I wasted my life. I didn't become who I was supposed to be. Yeah, it just, it's like I just wasted my life being distracted and entertained. Mm-hmm. And I missed my life's purpose. That, well, hopefully that's one of the gifts of Sacred Heart Radio, one of the gifts of this program, Sound Insight, one of the gifts of the liturgical calendar and of this great, wonderful holy day of All Saints Day is it gets our eyes fixed on heaven. I hope and pray that that has happened for you today, and I pray God's blessings on your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.